Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme, told live at the adults-only Visual Arts Collective in Garden City, Idaho. I'm artistic director Jody Eichelberger. In the heat of the summer, we encourage you to go play in traffic. Under the guidance of our Story Story Stoplight, this month, Late Night turns red in our first show of the season with the theme of Red Light on June 26, 2018, with featured storytellers Rick Just, Penny Lee Eckert, and Monique Michelle Duarte. The host for the evening marked a return appearance by Emma Arnold. Now it's time to take the brakes off. It's story time. Give it up for Emma Arnold! Hello. Um, wow, I've never been called a MILF by a gay puppeteer before. So many firsts at Story Story Late Night, always. How is everybody tonight? What a big rowdy crowd. This is super fun. Uh, actually, not very rowdy. I'm going to be real with you. There's a lot of people here, and I hope we can be a little rowdier than this because everybody looks like they just came from a bake sale. So. This is Story Story Late Night. You're going to hear some shit. That's what we do. That's what we do. Are you ready for it? Good. Yes. Listen to these guys, Tommy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm, I, I'm just going to tell a quick story because we have such amazing storytellers and I, a real packed slate, so I don't want to take up too much time. But before I can start, I need to check and make sure that there aren't any narcs in the audience. <laughs> Oh, somebody raised their hand in the back. Security, uh, <laughs> just checking, because uh, this story is uh, its about something illegal. So I'm just going to throw that out there. I recently started, for their, um, just a, not that long ago, started smoking a little pot. <laughs> Thank you, this side of the room that's cool. Um, bunch of... Fucking nerds over here. That's fun. <laughs> I did. I started smoking a little pot. And uh, I started uh, about a year ago when I was in a real rough patch. And I hadn't been sleeping. I hadn't, for a long time, had only been sleeping like an hour or two a night. Yeah, which was real miserable. And I was down in Denver for some shows. And I have a friend down there who's one of these newfangled weed millionaires. Yeah, <laughs> and he also happens to be a neurologist. Yeah, mama's cleaning up is my point. Um, <laughs> it's just a friend. Um, but he told me, you know, what's really great actually for in chronic insomnia is CBD, which is a weed thing. I don't know. And he gave me some little CBD edibles, and I took one, and I slept for 14 hours. <laughs> like a fucking lazy baby, and it was amazing. Oh my God. I woke up and was like, new me. Like I felt, um, I felt so good. So he gave, me a, he gave me a little box of those and I took them home and, and I took them and I slept for a while. And then the next time I was there, he was like, really, just to get the full benefit 
of marijuana, <laughs> you need to do what's called the whole plant theory, which is where you don't just take the CBD, which doesn't get you high, it just helps you sleep. You gotta do the whole plant. And so I smoked a joint. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but marijuana is a pretty good time. <laughs> boy, woo, <laughs> woo, uh, boy, I, had a, I had a great time. Uh, I, I uh, invented Dorito nachos. <laughs> That's nachos you make out of Doritos, yeah. That's some next level stoner shit, first time. First time smoking pot in a very long time. Uh, I slept like a baby that night, and when I woke up in the morning, I was like, I think I worked out a bunch of my dad shit. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was weird. It's good stuff, anyway. So it's not that I haven't ever smoked pot before. I used to smoke a lot of pot when I was a teenager. I went through a phase where I smoked pot like almost every day. And it wasn't because I was like crazy about pot. It was because it was free. <laughs> and I fucking love a free thing. <laughs> if you give me anything free, it's, I'm gonna take it, use it, whatever, I don't care. I love free stuff. And how it was free was uh, my fr best friend growing up, I grew, I grew up in kind of a shady area. My best friend growing up, her dad was an entrepreneur. We used to call it criminal, but now I guess things are changing and now you're a weed millionaire is what you are. He was an entrepreneur and he sold marijuana out of their trailer and he had a giant brick of weed he would keep in his sock drawer. And we would go and cut off a slice in the back and it's just like cake, okay? You can't cut it out of the side or the front. You gotta, like, when you're taking cake and you don't want anybody to know that you're taking cake, you just cut, like, a slice lengthwise. Because <laughs> everybody's expecting you to go in on the side. You can't take a chunk. That's noticeable. Just take a lengthwise slice. So we would take a lengthwise slice of pot, and then we would split it and smoke it all the time. Smoke it all the time every day. We did that uh, for a couple of years, just stealing weed and smoking it all the time until one day her dad came to pick us up at a school dance and uh, we were very stoned and he was very stoned. <laughs> and driving home, we did that very stoned thing where you stop at a stop sign <laughs> and then you wait for it to change to green. <laughs> A lot of pot smokers in this crowd, cool. Uh, we must have sat there for approximately 700 years and we're just sitting there and we were just like, uh, by the way, there was no music, but we were all bobbing. We all had our own thing going on. Uh, mine was Janis Joplin. I don't know what everybody else was bobbing to, but that's what I was feeling that night until finally he, realized and started laughing and he was like, ah, this is a stop sign. And we were like, ah, it is a stop sign. And he was like, you guys are stoned. 
And we were like, you're stoned. And he was like, I'm stoned, you're right. And then he's like, you guys have been stealing my weed. <laughs> and we were like, God, we have been stealing your weed. It's great weed. And he was like, stop stealing my weed. <laughs> Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> and I quit smoking pot after that, not because I was like scared straight, uh, but because it wasn't free anymore. And then when I would smoke other people's weed, I would be like, what is this teenager garbage ditch trash? This barely gets you high. I don't want any part of this. So I quit smoking weed for 25 years. <laughs> uh, so then I, so, so back, to, back to where we were. I'm smoking a little weed. And about three months ago, I was in Seattle and I was doing this show where the point of the show is you do a comedy set sober, and then at intermission, they have you smoke a bunch of weed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they have you do comedy really stoned. And it's always a hilarious train wreck because uh, people are just get up and like mumble and wander around. Uh, and the point is just to humiliate you. And I told them, I agreed to do the show, because uh, they're friends of mine who run it. And, but I was like, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not, I'm still like a, a mom pot smoker. Like, I do it here and there, you know? And I'm like, well, who took an edible today? This guy, okay. And, um, <sighs> like, I have to block out like two or three days to smoke a little weed, because I'm just uh, very highly affected by it. So I told them, I was like, look, I'll do the show, but I don't want to get like crazy, crazy stoned. Like I'll get a little stoned, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to get blazed like you guys do. That's what the kids are calling it. And um, <laughs> they were like, that's fine. So I did my first set, had a good set. It was pretty fun. And then we went to intermission and they gave me a, they gave me a vape pen. And um, then they all kind of left. Everybody kind of was like doing stuff. And I had this vape pen, which, you know, if you're not familiar, it's like a little electronic weed smoking machine. <laughs> Is, that's what it is. And uh, so I took the weed pen and I was trying to suck on it and I couldn't get anything to come out of it. I couldn't get any smoke to go. And so I kept sucking on it and sucking on it. And uh, no, it, it gets so much worse. It gets so much worse. And I was like, oh, this weed pen must be broken. And my personality type is such that if something is broken, I'm like, no, nah, I can fix that. Uh, n n just all confidence. So I took it apart. And when I took it apart, I was like, oh, I see. There's a little rubber stopper in the end, like a container of like super glue to keep it from leaking. So I popped that little rubber stopper out of there, put that baby back together, and <laughs> inhaled an entire weed pen. <laughs> And the other comedian who was sitting with me, who was a huge stoner, he was like, oh. <laughs> and I, instead of spitting it out, reflexively swallowed. Because <laughs> I was raised right. And, um, <laughs> you know, you can take the girl out of the trailer park, but uh, I'm a swallower. And, uh, Thank you. <laughs> so I swallowed most of the liquid in this weed pen. So an edible typically has about 10 to 20 milligrams of marijuana. A weed pen has about 500. I swallowed 
probably more than half. So we'll say 250 on the low end. And my friend, who smokes a ton of weed, was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And he handed me a paper towel and was like, wipe off your tongue, wipe off your tongue. And so I'm like, oh, oh, what happens to me? What happens to me? And he was like, I don't know. I don't know. I do not know. I, it'll, it'll, be, it'll probably be fine. It'll be fine. I don't know. So intermission is about a half hour long, maybe a little longer. I was also, the, I was headlining the show. So <laughs> it's the last comedian on this show. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever is right. And then the liability company shut it down. Uh, no. And I, uh, so we were sitting there, intermission ended, and he's like, how do you feel? And I'm like, honestly, I don't feel anything. And we Googled it, and we're like, maybe your body can't even absorb it, you know? Because it's like an oil. And he's like, you're probably going to be fine. Eat some cheese. Um, <laughs> so I was back there frantically eating cheese and drinking water. But go, when the show started, I was like, he's like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I actually feel okay. Like, I feel kind of fine. Um, I feel pretty good, actually. The show starts, and uh, about... My, my friend says that you could see when it hit me. Because <laughs> we were sitting in kind of these comfy chairs, and I was sitting, and I was like, this is fine. And then all of a sudden, I was like, <laughs> And the host of the show came back, and he was like, do you still want to go on? I was like... I really do. <laughs> Get me onto that stage. <laughs> and then I crushed. I had like the best set of my life. I did 20 minutes on God knows who what, knows what. I don't know. I don't remember what I talked about. Uh, I'm assured that I did very well. <laughs> and I had a really fun set and I, I was like loose and present and in the moment and, and I like, up there, I just felt like totally zen, and I could feel every single person in the audience like connecting with me on a cellular level. And I was like, this is crazy because we're all actually one person, if you think about it. And I am telling you jokes, but we're bonding. And I did pretty great. And then uh, afterward, I, they, you have like a meet and greet thing, and we were standing doing a meet and greet. And my friend, who I had grown up with, had moved to Seattle. And she had told me she might come to the show. And she was there. And she came up afterward and like hugged me. And we were talking. I was still, by the way, at this point, on the moon. Uh, quite on the moon. And she and I started talking about like how funny it was that you know I ha I'm smoking pot now again. And we used to steal pot from her dad. And that's pretty funny. And ha, ha, ha. And then she said, yeah. The cr and I told her, it's funny, because tonight is the first time I've ever felt as high as when we used to steal your dad's weed. Like, every time I've smoked weed, even like, even in Denver when I've smoked some like Willie Nelson shit, you know, like I still have been like, yeah, it's pot, it's fine. Uh, and she was like, oh, that's funny that you mentioned that. Because I was telling my dad that we used to steal his weed recently, and he laughed and he said, that's fine, because I used to lace that shit with PCP. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which made sense why when I would smoke my friend's weed, I would be like, why doesn't this make me want to run and fight and run and fight? You know, like... I would smoke regular pot and be like, are we gonna kill a homeless person or not? You know, like, what are we do? What are we even doing here? <laughs> so I feel like that kind of explains why 25 years later, when I ingested an entire weed pen, I was like, this is fine. Uh, <laughs> this isn't PCP, it's not affecting me. And that's it, that's my whole story, you guys, that's it. That's the, I just used to do a bunch of PCP is my point. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Let's welcome Rick Just. Stop me if you've heard this one, okay? This is the one about Firth, Firth, Idaho. Yeah, Firth, Idaho, and it is not next to Thekent. Firth is actually next to Shelley. It's between Blackfoot and Idaho Falls. And Firth, back in the summer of 1968, when this took place, would have had, well, let's see. Right now, it's got 477 people. So in the summer of 68, it would have had 479 people. Because Chuck and I were getting ready to leave. Chuck and I were parked on the main street of Firth. And I gotta tell you a little bit about the main street of Firth. Highway 191 rose right through town, north to south. And right in the center of town, there is a traffic signal. It's not as fancy as this one back here. It only has caution and red. If you're going east or west, it's red because you have to stop for the highway. And on the highway, it's caution or maybe a cautionary tale, I don't know. But Firth isn't built like any other town. You've got the railroad tracks on the east side and then the highway and then, whoa, what's this? Well, we'll get to what's this in a minute, but we've got on the west side, the commercial district. And I'll go through it real quick. We've got your, your, your Firth blacksmith shop and your Texaco station and the stop and shop and an empty building, call it's bar. And then you've got the movie theater that's been closed for a lot of years, the International Harvester dealership, the Spudman Bar. And then you had Ferd's Club. Ferd's Club was a bar, and it was run by a guy named Fred. Okay. Now, I don't know why. Uh, and then next to that was the barbershop. Haircuts, still a buck. Uh, the drugstore, an empty space where there was probably a building once. Now there's a hole. Then Uli's Burger Hut. Second best burgers in town. And then next to that was the lumber yard, and that's as far as we're going because that's where we're parked, Chuck and I. We're parked there, okay? But here's that odd thing I was telling you about. Firth, it's like somebody, some big somebody, like King Kong, came along and put their arms around the business district and scooshed it back 60 feet from the highway. So there's this big, big, asphalt parking lot thing. There's no stripes on it or anything. The highway has stripes and people are going up and down 35 miles an hour and they know what side to be on. And then there's Firth, 
with its main street and people are riding their stingrays and they're out there, you know, the kids are and trying not to break their elbows on a, on a skateboard and that kind of thing. But what we were doing, because it was summer 1968 and it was late at night, like right after the bars were closed, one o'clock or so, we were backed up against the curb in my 1963 Ford Galaxy. 500 XL convertible. It was, it was robin egg blue. It was perfect. Not a scratch on it. It was wonderful. And I was 18 years old and Chuck was 18 years old. And because of the way our birthdays were, I was in September and he was in May. I was already out of school. I'd been out a whole year and he had just gotten out of school. And we were sitting there watching the traffic go by. And that was kind of a sport. <laughs> and, you know, you'd, you'd have a little color commentary because we were practicing to be radio announcers. And we'll get a little more of that in a minute. But color commentary, there'd be a, there'd be a semi truck coming through. And we go, well, there's a semi coming through. Look at the lights all over the back of it. There's lights on the bumper and everything. And it's a flatbed. Well, here comes Mrs. Yelm on her 1957 Ford station wagon. She's, she's the secretary at high school. What is she doing out after, after the bars are closed? That's kind of interesting. And, and Chuck would say something like, well, here, comes, here comes a pickup, and it's got, I think that's maybe, maybe boards in the back. I think it's plywood, yeah, like that. That was what passed pretty much for entertainment in Firth in 1968. But we weren't just being entertained, we were learning. Because we had the radio cranked up. Because we were going to be radio announcers, both of us. And quite frankly, I already was one. I was working at KBLI in Blackfoot, Idaho. Which is why I could actually afford the car. Because I was living at home and I didn't have anything to spend money on but the car. So I had the car. We were sitting in the car, in the convertible, looking out, watching the traffic, and listening to KOMA in Oklahoma City. Why? Because that 50,000-watt thumper would go out all over the Midwest, and as far as radio signals were concerned, Firth was in the Midwest. It hit us hard. We'd hear about every dance there was in Kansas, you know, and it, would, well, it was great. And, and our, our idols were working on this radio station, Charlie Tuna. Robert Dallasie Morgan. And we knew those guys were headed up, up, up to the Mecca. KHJ in Los Angeles, the one in California. Because that's the way it worked, you know. You started out at a little station like KBLI, and then you maybe went to Idaho Falls, and then you went to uh, uh, Pocatello, or Boise, or Salt Lake, or Portland, or, you know, you just kept stepping up a little bit. And it really, wherever it was didn't matter, as long as it was someplace, not Firth. <laughs> but we were headed there, and it was, I know it's hard to believe, but it was getting boring. Because there hadn't been a, any traffic for a couple of minutes, and uh, we were thinking about going home, and, and nothing was moving in town. But it actually was. That light was flashing. Caution and stop, and caution and stop. We kind of thought, what would happen if that light stopped flashing? And we thought, well, that would be kind of fun. But you know, the, the fathers of Firth, they wouldn't be stupid enough to put a switch someplace where a kid could reach it. 
But there was that box on that uh, power pole over there, and we thought, maybe. And so Chuck opened the door, and he kind of tiptoed, watched him tiptoe, over there. And he's kind of a tall kid, and he reached way up, went like this, and the light went out. And he came diving back to the car. He jumped over the door and landed in there. He said, let's get out of here. And I said, we won't know what happens. If we just get out of here, will Rod Sterling come on and, and talk about the disappeared town? Will the sidewalks roll up? Will the power lines drop off the edge of the earth at the edge of town? What will happen? So we, we stayed there for a while, you know, a little while longer, a little while longer, and nothing happened. So we were getting real bored by that time, and it was about time to go home, so we were about ready to do it, and here came some lights. And the lights were coming from the south, and in this direction, we thought, well, at least we can see what this is, and you know, rack it up on the night's total, and wow, it was something. It was a greyhound bus. <laughs> Comes cruising through town, 35 miles an hour, because that is the speed limit. Comes cruising through town, well, that's it. That's, that's the topper for the night, we gotta go home. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna turn on the lights. Now, now this, is, this is kind of a different deal than nowadays, because nowadays you got that stick on the, on the side of the steering wheel that does everything but take your blood pressure. You had to grab a knob, follow me now. You grab a knob and you had to pull it out, not just once, because that was parking lights, twice, and that was the whole lights. All right, so you pull it out and the lights come on, and guess what happened? The bus lights came on too. I'm talking the brake lights. And that old greyhound, that big dog, stopped. And I shut the lights off and I looked at it and I looked at Chuck and I said, I, I think we've caught ourselves a bus. <laughs> and you know, I, I don't know if we did it, but we, let's say we high-fived because that was kind of a big deal. We didn't frankly know what to do with a bus. You know, I, apparently he thought maybe we had somebody to, we were going to flag him down or something. I don't know. So we sat there for a while. And I, okay, let's, we've got to let him go. So I turned my lights on again. And just as I turned my lights on again, he started up. And then he saw my lights. And he stopped. And I turned my lights off. Okay, and this happened again. <laughs> and again, a couple of times. And we thought, what are we going to do with this bus? So finally, we just had to end it. So I turned on the lights, started the car, and took off. I could have gone just right down Center Street or the other direction, but what did I do? I don't know why. I headed north past the bus, out of town. And I was going 35 miles an hour in my fancy-dancy convertible. I looked in the mirror, and here came the bus. And man, here came the bus. He was coming, and he was coming kind of fast, so we sped it up a little and he came closer we sped it up and he sped up and we sped up and he sped up finally he was right on our tail remember we're in a convertible it's like being on this stage with the big double high beams and everything blasting into that thing and we were going he's probably going to kill us what are we doing what are we going to do so and you know a bus can't go very fast so i stomped it I put my, uh, my foot to the floor, and that big 390 V8 started sucking air. Shh, you know how they'll do. And I got it up to about 90, and I didn't want to be going 90 through Shelley. So I thought, maybe I better turn off as soon as I can. So I saw a road coming up on the right, 
and I slammed on the brakes, and eh, this is going a little fast, and hit, hit a little gravel and kind of spun me sideways some, but I ended up going the kind of the right direction to vault over the railroad tracks and did that thing, and then slammed on the brakes again and shut the lights out and waited. And here came the bus. And he went right on by. So it apparently wasn't a ghost bus or, bus or something like that. So, okay, well, that was kind of kind of getting your blood pressure going a little bit, so I started the car again, and I didn't bother turning the lights on because the moon was out, and, you know, you can see those poles going by at 2 in the morning, and that's enough. And I was listening to the big sounds of, I don't know, maybe, maybe the number one song of 1967, which was the latter, and being a kind of radio announcer. I knew that was a minute and 57 seconds long and you didn't go to the bathroom during that one. And, or maybe Lady Willpower. Lady Willpower by Gary Puckett in the Union Gap. And I knew that he was in Twin Falls, Idaho and I was kind of proud of that. But we, we were just kind of going back to Firth in our own thoughts and we got back into town across Center Street where the light wasn't. Remember the light? And Chuck got out, left the door open and ran over cranked up the light again. He got back in and closed the door. And I headed on out of town the other direction, south, and I kind of looked in my rearview mirror and there was that light flashing, caution, caution, caution. And frankly, we didn't know where the hell we were going. Just someplace not Firth. Thank you. Miss Penny Lee. Wow. <laughs> okay. I've never done this before, so. Um, Welcome. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, so, red light district. Wow. I used to think it was all really funny grew up in Seattle. So my daughter, I met my daughter when she was 16 up in the Idaho mountains at a youth ranch I worked at for at-risk kids. Yeah, I adopted her. She adopted me first and she was a genuine, beautiful redhead. I mean, gorgeous, long, long, thick red hair, little spitfire. I was staff. She would get in my face. God, I loved her. She was great. She had so much spunk. I love people with spunk, and she was so real. And I always had so much respect for just truth. I don't know. Just be real. Be true. And she was like that. And anyway, we fell in love. We adopted each other. Uh, and she got out, and later I saw her you know, go to a boarding school, and then she graduated, and she stayed here in Idaho. But I helped her kind of reunite with her mom, and we became sisters, and I am now the number two mom, and um, I feel so blessed in that position. And so we uh, went, and she moved back to Seattle, and I got to go see her graduate. 
and it was amazing. A lot of graduations happen, right? It's, it's kind of a neat event. And it was really special for her because she had to come through a lot to graduate. And we had a lot of good times. We would get together and usually it was always, you know, us moms and our daughter. It was pretty awesome. And so track up a little bit and um, a few years go by and I get this Actually, a lot of years, now that I think about it. Wow, I'm getting old. <laughs> so she uh, gives me a call. And I don't know if you guys have had those phone calls where like a long lost friend or a daughter calls you and you haven't talked for a long time. And it's like nothing, no time ever passed. And so you just pick up. And we picked up and we talked. It was an awesome conversation. And then uh, she just sounded like something was wrong. And I asked her how she was doing, and she had a 14-year-old son, and she'd been divorced, and she's in her early, just 30 right then, I think. And so I offered, I said, why don't you come live with me? Why don't you, you know, I'm a single mom, you're a single mom, we can help each other out, and um, it'll be amazing, and I'll help you get on your feet uh, if anything's wrong, you know? And, and uh, I could tell there was something wrong, but all of a sudden she kind of put on this, face, even though I couldn't see her face. And all of a sudden, she's telling me about going to Florida with this awesome guy she met. And this guy like bought her jewels and winder and diner, and they were going to go to Florida. And um, I thought something was off, but I, I just, you know, I said, are you sure? You know, you're doing good. That's awesome. Like, if you really love this guy and you're happy, I don't care. I just, you want the best, right? And so, um, we talked a little bit longer and um, said, God, love you. Have a great time. You know, I'll see you or talk to you. And I'll figure out how to get to Florida. I don't know. And so that was the end of the phone call. So a couple years later, really, I actually lost my phone. Write your phone numbers down. Because <laughs> I lost a cell phone. And I lost her number. I lost her mom's number. But I had a lot of stuff going on in my life. A lot of stuff can happen in our lives. And time goes by, but I know she'll get a hold of me when she's ready. And all of a sudden, a friend of mine decides to tell me um, her mom is trying to get a hold of me. And I thought, oh my God, that's awesome. Yay, you know? And uh, so we, ha I'm like, we're going to have a big reunion. And then uh, the next thing I find out through this friend is, um, no, I think I need to prepare you because you're, Bribery's been murdered. And I really, I don't know. I think it was denial. I just, what? <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's what, you know, the head counselor up at this place told me. And then they knew, you, you know, she's trying to get hold of you. So uh, I just wouldn't, it wasn't wrapping in my head. And I really didn't want to believe it. But finally, I get the courage to, uh, I go out on my front porch here in Idaho, beautiful sunny day, and I'm thinking, okay. And I call, and I come to find out it's true. She's been brutally murdered in Seattle, and she's dead. But she can't talk to me, because it, it's literally my, my grandson, her son, it's his birthday. And so we stop the phone call, and I'm sitting on this porch, and I just, I just couldn't believe it. 
So I completely fall apart. I lose it. And then I try and get myself back together. And uh, so we're going to clip on a little farther. Let's just say I wanted to kill these people. I wanted to beat the crap out of them, rip them out sideways, skin them alive. I don't even care. I just, I cannot believe that they murdered her. And um, so I have to take the trip to go see the murderer to Seattle. Well, I don't have to. I want to. I don't know. It's something in you. You just have to go. So I take this trip. I could have never gone if a dear friend of mine didn't um, loan me this amazing rig. I literally have to go through a snor snowstorm. I get over there, pass shuts. Um, I get with her, you know, sister and son and, and her mom. And I, and it's brutal. And because of this snowstorm, they cancel the trial. And I'm just like, ha. Um, <clears throat> so I start praying. That's just what I do. So I'm praying. I'm like, God, I need a miracle because I have to do this and I have to be with the family. I have to. You've got to do a miracle for me. Well, we take a snow day, we call it. We, I don't know. You can take a snow day in the summer too because we had this amazing day together. It was, it's just one of those days where you get this phenomenal time with somebody you love and you get to spend great time together and it's a miracle and it's perfect. And we got one of those days, which actually we all really needed in the midst of this. And um, so then the miracle came. Oh, my God. We're two days. This is a miracle. It doesn't happen. This is Seattle. They held and we went. So I faced the guy. That's. We go. We think we're going to see him, right? All the people pile through. You get this glass, you know, and you're, I can't even tell you what it feels like. Eventually, we get to see the guy who's, and she's like this, and three guys beat her to death, crushed her head. It's really brutal, okay? I'm sorry, but it is. It is what it is. And um, I'm reeling. We then have this little law thing after it's all done. This guy's so, he won't even turn around, okay? So we didn't even get to see him. Doesn't turn around. We don't get to see him. Then we go into this room, and these people because I found out in this, when you're far away sometimes, uh, extended family won't always tell you all the details. And so what I get to find out is there were actually three men that brutally beat her. Um, it's one of the worst cases ever in Seattle, which can give you an idea of what that's like. And so um, then they proceed to tell me, well, they're not quite sure if she was his girlfriend or a prostitute. <laughs> oh my god I'm like I'm looking at everybody I'm like what do you mean a prostitute my she is not a prostitute like she's not okay I know this you know people that you love okay they're not prostitutes I am so pissed but I'm crying I'm hysterically crying at this point I can't even talk so I'll just leave it there go ahead a little we decide we're going to go, and we're going to go look at the house where they brutally murdered her. And I find out there's another gal involved, and she, like, washes all the blood off of her clothes, and they plan this thing. And so, okay, here's the house. Oh, my God, whatever. And then down the street a ways, because we just got to see this stuff, um, here's the house where they dump her body. Outside, they just dump her body beside this, like, duplex thing. And... Um, 
our heads are really, we can't handle it very long, we go, and then I gotta get home, okay, I gotta go back, I gotta work, and all of a sudden, I'm not kidding you guys, um, my, her sister calls, and now she's my adopted daughter, I didn't know her very well, they're stepsisters, but, so she calls, and miraculously, the pass all of a sudden opens up, and I go over this pass, and I know it's a miracle, right? So then, thank you God, I had a miracle, but I haven't really processed everything, and, and then I accidentally, have you ever done anything accidentally that you knew wasn't an accident? I end up spending the night in the hotel where my husband died back in 95. I pull up to this hotel where I lived in after he died because it was brutal and I didn't handle it very well and he died in front of me and I did CPR for a half hour. So I'm sitting here, all this grief is hitting me and I'm just like, oh my God, and then all this grief from Bree, and then all this that I wanna kill these people, I wanna, now I have another, I thought I'd forgiven him and here's this chick I find out about and then I have all these idiots calling my daughter a prostitute. I'm just like beside myself, I'm breathing, I'm like, I gotta go lay down. I just pass out finally. I wake up in about four hours and I don't know if any of you have ever had one of those things in the Bible, they'll say, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body, okay? But this happened. And all of a sudden, I wake up. I can't even tell you how much pain I'm in, okay? I'm talking, I'm thinking about my husband. I'm thinking about Bree. I'm thinking about her being beat and all the pain and all the stuff and all the people I want to rip them apart. I can't even explain the rage and the pain. And I felt like water poured out. That's what I felt like. And all of a sudden, I literally see Jesus. And the only reason I know it's him is because he's so bloody, like the Bible says. Not the little trickle of blood, people. It says he was so marred you could not tell what he looked like. I see white teeth and a crown of thorns, and all of a sudden I hear him speak to my heart, and he says, forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm not playing with you. I'm still in a lot of pain, but I'm like, oh, kind of tripping. And then I see Stephen. And I don't know if you know that story, but Stephen, like, loves Jesus. He lived in the time. He's literally being stoned to death, okay, by these people. People he knows that he grew up with. These people are stoning him. And he looks up to glory, and his face is shining. And the guy says, forgive them. They know not what they do. And to my heart, God said to me, I was with her. She did not feel all the pain you think she felt. I was with her. Then all of a sudden, by the grace of God, I see Bree and I see her off. She's like off in the distance and she's so beautiful and her hair is so amazing. I can't even explain it. And she says to me though, you know what she says to me? She says, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know what she was telling me? And I just knew she was telling me, these are people I know. I love these people. Mom, forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm a mess. But all of a sudden, all this pain, it goes back to the fact that Jesus died for every single one of us. He died for those sons of bitches and that stupid bitch that washed the clothes off, the blood off her clothes. Okay? He died for them. And then all I know is I was just in pain again, and I'm like, oh my God, you love everybody so much. I love you. And bang, I'm out. I wake up in the morning, and all I can tell you 
I'm not the same person. He flipped a switch in me. That's all I can tell you. All of a sudden, so I, I'm so weak. I feel like I've been run over by 20 trains or buses. I am a mess. I'm like, but I also feel super light. I literally have forgiven these people. So I start driving, and I go through this amazing valley, and all of a sudden, I see this vision, this ranch, this home, where I can love on people, and it doesn't matter what your pain is or what your hurt is, I can love on you, and I can share the love of God with you, and he will love you, and he will do miracles like the one he just did for me. We can forgive everybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your story is. And then time goes forward. Believe it or not, I had no information. Even at that time, I, I didn't know what sex trafficking was. Didn't have, didn't have a clue. A lot of you probably do not have a clue, okay? So all of a sudden, I start learning. Well, let me tell you. These people will take somebody off the street, and this guy, I find out the lead guy that they're going to take down because they're going to let the other two guys off, okay? And one of them, oh, I only transported her body, right? You can tell, not thrilled about it, but I've really forgiven them. So I realized, oh my God, they have to be so hurting to do that. Like, where did they come from? What is going on? How do we get like this? So I learned, sex trafficking, let me tell you, it doesn't matter, zero to old. They're snagging old ladies now. They're snagging little kids. They actually have ranches. Okay, ranches where they farm kids, raise them, torture them, tell them, terrify them, kill other people in front of them, rape them, murder them, let them have sex, you know, with animals, all kinds of twisted, sick drugs. Meth works really good. You know, let's really twist their minds so they become a prostitute. Because you know what? When they are that screwed up, they can put them out on the street they tell them, they already know they are going to die if they don't bring the money home. They don't get any of the money. And you better dang well make that guy think, you know, you love him. Get what I'm saying? It's twisted. These are the, these are this, the, and then I'm thinking, kind of backtrack a little bit. In the courtroom, I saw this guy's parents, and it was really hard for me because I saw the pain in their face. And then I find out this guy's name is Face, his gang name. Have you ever put on a face? Game face, work face, cover the pain face. I have to do that a lot. A lot of us do, stuff happens. All I know is red light district should have a whole nother look to you. And I beg you to go out, there's lots of stuff. You go on the Idaho Anti-Trafficking Coalition website, you can find out a whole bunch. But I want you to understand something. There's even a sicker level that people don't talk about. Because the occult, baby sacrifices still happen. I know survivors that have seen it, been in it, and I know a guy that got out because he saw a baby being sacrificed. We need to seriously think about things, and it's a moral issue, and it's a, do you have somebody you love? I don't care, male, female, it doesn't matter. Please learn and make a difference. Thanks. I know it's a heavy subject, but it could save somebody you love's life.
Monique Duarte. So again, my name is Monique Michelle Duarte, yay for me. And normally it would be, right, it would be followed with some sort of spiel like, oh, and I am the director and instructor of the Ballet Folklorico Mexico Lindo from downtown Nampa. <laughs> right? Uh, because I am, that's, that's, that's what I do. I teach dance and I, and I am a dancer and I do folklorico and good for me. So here's the funny thing. So I'm here at the Visual Arts Collective and I look around and I'm like, wow, this place looks familiar. Like that's kind of rad. Um, so the reason why it looks familiar is because I've already been on this stage, fully clothed. Um, <laughs> so we came and we were invited to perform for the uh, Red Light Burlesque Show. Right? 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 Okay, but here's the thing. If you think about what burlesque is and does, and if you think about traditional Mexican dancing and what they wear compared to what we wear, so that was comical in itself because here's my dancers in the back all like, oh no, and here's me going, yeah, if you've never seen a bra, that's your fault. So, but I, I'm from East Los Angeles, so that's my hometown, go Dodgers, right? So yes, go Dodgers, yes, yes. Um, so I'm from East LA, Boyle Heights area, so puro raza right there. And so for me, um, modesty, I don't, I don't have those inhibitions because I come from a very diverse city, one of the most diverse in the world. And uh, in my home, love was not only love a long time ago, but that just wasn't the way that I was raised. And in my very traditional Mexican Catholic household, um, we were always taught that you'd be respectful and kind and good and the golden rule, you treat people how you wanna be treated, right? And so that's how I was raised. Now, I will tell you, because I am from East LA and because I am from Boyle Heights, every once in a while, my little inner ghetto comes out and I gotta push her back down. She's like the Tiffany Haddish, but like Mexican. So I gotta tell her like, no, Monica, you can't come out right now. So, and like she does things like this and she'll get all like, you know, pero sabes que, you know what? You don't even know, okay? Because you don't know. And then I'm like, oh wait, shh, Boise. No, don't act like that, okay. Okay. So we were out here and we were dancing. It was great and it was super fun. Okay, good for me. So, yeah, it was great. So, okay, so here I am, and uh, I'm, I started dancing when I was about six years old, and my mom had taken me from, uh, back then in LA, everybody, the dance companies are basically tied to churches. And so in my parish, um, my mom took me to dance classes, and I was, I was too shy, and I wouldn't leave my mom's leg, and I was just kind of like scared, and I wouldn't, you know, I just, I was monolingual, and I was chubby, and shy, and awkward, and just like all kinds of weird. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't move. And my dance teacher told my mom, well, you know what, that's okay. Bring her back in a year, we'll try again. Okay, so my mom brings me back and I'm six years old and I'm a little bit more chubby and shy and awkward. <laughs> Still monolingual. But I, I like it and I move and I, I kind of like the way it feels and I sway and the music makes me happy and when I dance my parents are so happy and and I feel good about myself and I love it and I love the dancing. And I don't know if you've ever seen traditional Mexican folk dancing, but it's gorgeous. Not just my bias, but because it encompasses so many different cultures that are encompassed in Mexican culture and Mexican heritage. We've got German and French and African and Spanish and it's just, it's, it's beautiful. And we culminate all of those cultures and we, we bring them all together on the stage and we tell stories. 
and we share our time and our talents and it's amazing, it's beautiful. So when I'm up there, I feel like I'm no longer the chubby, shy, awkward, weird kid that's the child of immigrants. I'm beautiful, I'm confident, I'm colorful, I'm strong, I'm proud, I'm wearing the finest fabrics, the most beautiful gold and ornate silver on my wrists, my neck, my hands, my ears, and I love it, and I'm six, and I'm 15, and I go to my quinceanera in Mexico, and I'm 17, and I'm 24, and I'm still dancing, and I move from my beloved city of angels, and I come to Idaho, why are you laughing? <laughs> Do you know where this is going? <laughs> so I'm thinking, that's wonderful. I'm from LA. Everywhere is diverse. Everywhere is like where I'm from. Every <laughs> Y'all are laughing. <laughs> Everywhere is like that, right? I mean, for being in such a big city, I was super naive. <laughs> so we come out here, and I'm like, wow, rad. <laughs> like, you have like one airport and you can like literally open the door and get off the plane. <laughs> like, yay, one mall, right. Karcher Mall does not count. Poor little Karcher Mall, leave Karcher Mall alone. <laughs> Poor little Karcher Mall. So I'm, I'm, I live here and that's great and I take up my dancing because I miss it. And so I'm, I'm there and I have my dance company and it's now 2003. And I've, I've been in here, I've lived in Idaho almost 21 years now. And at the time though, it was 2003 and I start my dance company again because I missed it. And I loved it and I thought, you know, I'm gonna give it a shot, what the heck, let's do it. And I danced for, I, we danced at Dodger Stadium and we danced at Harrah's and Laughlin and we went to Catalina Island every Cinco de Mayo and South Padre Island in Texas and Albuquerque. And I mean, we went all over the place with our dancing, surely it's gonna be widely accepted. <laughs> I like you, Beck. So, okay, my friend tells me, you know, we have our little group and it's great, and she says, you know, this is, this is morphing into a business. I think you need to look into that. It's no longer a hobby, it's becoming a business. Oh, well, yay me, okay. So, by nature, I'm a classroom teacher, I was a cool classroom teacher. Um, I know, right? I, every Friday was game day, it was super cool. Um, so I taught, <laughs> I taught English as a second language, imagine that, and now it's called English Language Learners. At the time I did it, it was ESL, now it's ELL. Um, either way, they were wonderful kids, I love them. So I know how to teach, and when my friends suggest that I need to start looking into an accountant, and I need to start looking at maybe, uh, you know, putting together like registration forms and charging tuition or whatever I wanna call it, and it's really morphing into a business. And I think, oh my gosh, that's super cool. Okay, and I think, well, I'm a classroom teacher. I know how to do that, okay. So I, I know how to, and remember, my Mexican Catholic traditional household, you be nice all the time, and you be kind, and you be respectful, right? So I know how to make friends, I know how to teach, I know how to work with kids, I know how to organize and plan and prep. Let's do it, okay, that's great, I'm gonna do it. So I think, okay, how do you, okay, how do you, how do you run a business? Wait, I know how to run a classroom. Uh, how do you run a business? You write a grant, right? I'm gonna write a grant. I've never written a grant in my life. I don't even know if I can spell grant, but I'm gonna write a grant and I'm gonna ask for money. Free money too. <laughs> free money, what? You have to understand, like as an immigrant kid, I was like, free money, wait, what, hello? So I said, yeah, let's, okay, cool. So I write a grant. 
for Zion's Bank, the Smart Women, Smart Money Grant. Okay, awesome. So, me being me, because I'm a Virgo, and I, which, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like order, <laughs> imagine that. And uh, so I, I take my grant application, and I go on the SBA, uh, did we have social media then? I don't know. Did we have what? Do we have websites? So did we have? We had websites, right there. Okay. So I go to the SBA. I'm I'm not afraid of a phone call like some people I know. They're like, oh, I don't want to make a phone call, and I'm like, why? So I tell them, um, you know, hi, I'd like to have my grant reviewed. Um, I would like to have some critique on my grant, and I get an appointment. Great. So I go down there at the then Morrison Knudsen Building, which was the MK Building in Boise. I have an appointment to have my grant uh, read and critiqued. And I go down there, and my appointment is at 10 o'clock, and one of my dance moms went with me. And we get up there, and she says, how are you feeling, Monique? And I said, oh, I'm okay, I guess. I'm kind of excited. This is, you know. And we're thinking, you know, what could we do with the money, and what if we get it? Wouldn't that be so fun, and this, this, and that? And again, my little Mexican Catholic, I'm like, yay, everyone's good. And we get up to the door and get up to the floor and open the door and receptionist and it's like a big fancy office and I've never seen anything like that before and I get in there and I have my papers and I'm so happy and I go up to her desk and I say hi good morning uh, my name is Monique Michelle Duarte and I have a 10 o'clock appointment and I'm so excited to be here thank you for letting me be here I'm so excited I'm dying to tell you who we are and what we do <laughs> all smiles six years worth of orthodontics just smiles and she looks at me, and I don't know if you've ever seen Monsters, Inc. <laughs> the lady that's like, Wazowski. <laughs> I mean, she has clearly been there too long. <laughs> you know, like when you know people need to retire. <laughs> so she's sitting there, because <laughs> you know them. <laughs> And she's sitting there and she's like looking it over and she's clearly irritated. And I don't, I don't know any better, so I'm like, oh, yay. And she's like, I don't see any market for this. And I was like, wait, what? And she says, yeah, I don't see, I'm sorry, I, yeah. And she has my papers and she's looking it over and she goes, you need to go into tap or jazz or ballet or something that people know. I don't see a market for this here. People aren't gonna wanna do this. I just, I, I'm not gonna permit you into your appointment. She did. Remember my little ghetto lives in me. So I'm standing there and I kinda, I, I kinda, I don't know I don't know what she's saying. I don't understand. Um, just for a second, I hear, no. No. Wait. Red light. Did she say no? And I'm, it's just she and I. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't understand what you just said. I just don't see a market for that here. There's no one that's gonna want to do this. I told you, tap or jazz, something that people can recognize. They're not gonna recognize this. Who, who, this, this just isn't gonna sell here, I'm sorry. Oh. Pero sabes que cabrona? You wanna know who's sorry? I'll tell you who's sorry. 
soon as I take off these aretes right here, you're gonna be real sorry. So inside my head, I'm like, pero sabes que? You're not gonna talk to me like that, okay? Because I know some people, sabes que? All it takes is one call, you know what? Like this, in un instante. And then I come back and I'm like, oh, that's really disappointing. <laughs> and I said, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, but I don't, under, I, I don't understand. What do you mean, no? And I tell her, this is what I know. I don't understand how you can say that people aren't going to want to do this. Is, this is what I know. You know what I know? I know, you know what I know? I know folklorico, I know Azteca, I know flamenco, cabrona. What do you know? That's what I know. I just don't see him rocking for that. I'm not gonna let you in. Wazowski. <laughs> okay, so that was a tough pill to swallow. And I literally, tail between my legs, I thought, oh my God. I never got my appointment, never got it. Don't know who she was, couldn't tell you her name. I have no clue honest and I come back downstairs and my dance mom's there and she's super excited and she's like hey Monique how did it go what do you think and I looked at her and I said Yolanda I didn't have my appointment and I felt like such a failure what the hell was I thinking who do I think I am really I'm in my little duplex in Boise I'm sitting on my little stoop and we had a duplex, which was the cutest thing in the whole wide world, because living in LA, I'd never even heard of a duplex. It was so cute. Two houses connected. That's adorable. <laughs> like that. So cute. Like in LA, that's like your house and like your parents' garage, and like your Theos live there. Like what? <laughs> it was great. So I'm sitting on my little stoop, and I'm crying and smoking my clove cigarettes. Remember those? Remember those? I know, right? And uh, my husband comes home, and he was working at the prison at the time. And I'm sitting there crying, and I see him, and I start crying even more. So in between, in between crying and wiping mocos, and, which is a snot for our non-Spanish-speaking friends. And I see him, and he's, you know, I'm doing this stuff, and he kneels down in front of me, and he says, oh my gosh, what's the matter? Why are you crying? What's wrong? Did you talk to somebody? Are you homesick? Is everything okay? And I look at him, and I said, and my husband's from L.A. as well. And he came here to be a police officer. And at the time, him working for the prison, that was his stepping stone to be a police officer. And I look at him, and I said, Stephen, where did you bring me? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, and I'm crying, and I'm getting so upset. And he says, did something happen? Did you talk to your mom? Do you need to go back home? And I'm like, Typical. <laughs> and I look at him and I start crying more because I'm so, I'm just so mad and I'm so frustrated and I'm so disappointed. And I look at him and I said, where did you bring me? Because nobody looks like me. So what are we doing here? And I'm so mad at him because I let him talk me into coming out here. Okay, maybe he was really cute and I wanted to come. But... <laughs> But I was so mad and he just didn't get it. And I thought, you know what, that lady's right. I have a lot of nerve, seriously. Who the hell's gonna wanna do this? Oh, and by the way, like this, I don't know if that's like 
flamenco or I don't know what, don't do this, because I don't know what that is. And tap or jazz or ballet. Pendeja. Um, so, so uh, a pipe dream. You know what? I had my 15 minutes of fame in LA. It was great. We toured and traveled. It was wonderful. I came from an 82 member dance company. It was fabulous. Good for me. Good for me. That was then. This is now. I'm a mom. I've got a four year old and a two year old now. And, and, you know, my dancing, you know, when we can, it's great. You know, yay, Cinco de Mayo. Okay, cool. So, I think to myself, okay, never mind, pipe dream, let's put that aside. But something about it just makes me mad. And I keep thinking, you know what? But this is what I know. Wait, you can't tell me what I don't know because I'll tell you what I do know. You know what I know in addition to the folklorico and the flamenco and the Azteca? Cabrona, I know Marmolejos, Vargas, Ivilla, Cuauhtémoc, Montezuma, Hernández. What do you know? Right? So I let it go and I thought, you know what, whatever happens, I'm still a dancer regardless. I take with me all of that that I have and that I was taught and shared. I know what I know. Great. As I cut apples and peanut butter for my two daughters. So my landline rings. Yeah, sometimes like my little inner chingona, she's like, you know, inappropriate. I'm like, Sesame Street's on. What are you doing? I'm like, not now. So I'm cutting apples and, and peanut butter for my kids and my phone, my landline rings. And it's Lori Chillingsworth, president of Zion's Bank. Do I have a minute? Because she wants to tell me that she'd like to congratulate me. I've won every penny in the arts and culture category to the tune of $3,000. Can I come to Salt Lake City to pick it up? And if so, how soon? I'm like, oh my god, wait, what? Is she for real right now? Porque sabes que? Don't play. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And she says, Monique, we'd like to congratulate you. We are so proud of what you're doing out there, and we think what you're doing is honorable, and we love that you're sharing your culture. We'd like you to come to Salt Lake City so we can properly present you. Okay. So I go to Salt Lake, and I take my best girlfriend with me, and we go and Temple Square and we go all around and it's beautiful and I've never seen anything like it and we go to the Zion's Bank Women's Conference and they present me with this giant styrofoam check and it's super fun and I'm like oh that's a thing yeah yeah I had a paper check behind it and I'll, I was like this is rad so sure enough next thing I know I've, I've just gotten three thousand dollars and I'm crying on the phone again with the mocos and I told her I said you don't understand, this is gonna change my life. This is gonna change all these little dancers that I have, and by all, I mean four. <laughs> and, she's, and I go to Salt Lake, and I have my panel interview with all the you know, big wig execs from Zion's Bank, and here's this little Mexican from <laughs> East LA, and I'm like, wow, y'all are important. Yeah, like, you know, shine shoes and everything. And, uh, and she tells me, she says, we love what you're doing, Monique, and we think it's very honorable that you want to share your culture with those that are Hispanic and non-Hispanic alike. And I'm sorry, but I burst into tears. And I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for recognizing that what I do is important and valuable. I appreciate that. And she says, well, of course, it's a beautiful culture. We love it. We're so happy that you're going to continue it out in Idaho. 
wow, rad, okay. That's awesome. So flash forward, 2018, March 12th, 2018, my dance company celebrated 15 years in Idaho. Thank you, I'll curtsy. We have danced in five states. We have performed for dignitaries. We have been in digital and print media. I've danced for Latin authors, Reina Grande and Sandra Cisneros, the Mexican consulate, the governor, the mayor, you name it, we've been there. We just got back from Salt Lake, or excuse me, from Seattle two weeks ago for the Northwest Folklife Festival where we represented Idaho. <laughs> right? And it just amazed me that what I, I, if, had I believed what she told me and what she thought of me and what I was feeling of myself at the time, I would have never come this far. And that's what the beauty is about what I do and how our culture touches so many. And it's so beautiful because anybody and everybody can do it. And anybody and everybody is welcome at my studio at all times. Now, I will tell you the irony here. We'll get to this in a, this in a minute. This. That's a this. Um, so the sad thing is, my studio was vandalized yesterday morning in Nampa. I know, people are mean. And I was super sad about it, and people were, you know, commenting on Facebook, and, you know, oh, you need to start a GoFundMe, and we'll contribute and let me know, and, you know, honestly, guys, for real, the truth is, everything that was stolen and or demolished or destroyed, it's all stuff that can be replaced. You know, it was like Michael's or Hobby Lobby, or I don't even know who, yeah, but you know what I mean? It just, it's okay. It doesn't bother me, because when they ask me, well, we want to help, we want to contribute, what can we do, how can we, you know, make this better? And I said, you know what you can do? You can be kind. Be kind, because you just don't know where that kindness is gonna go. I said, so for me, that's what I want you to do. You wanna, you wanna pay, you wanna buy something? You know, hire us. <laughs> if that's what you really wanna do, come take lessons with me, it's fine. So that's, you know, but I just, I thought it's all material stuff and it's okay. Yes, it sucked, because for me, it was more looking at everything that they had traipsed through and demolished and they left their fingerprints on my personal property that I worked so hard for and they felt the right and the entitlement to just take. And I thought, you know, I'm going to wish you peace because I don't know what's in your heart, but I know what's in mine. So there's that, right? Thanks. <laughs> so, real quick. Okay. So this, this is the result of a dance accident. I know. I was teaching dance. There was a pop, and it was my Achilles tendon. I know. It was ugly. I ruptured it. But this is temporary, amigos. This is not, this is a red light, but just a temporary one. And we all know that after the red lights come green lights. And we all know what green lights mean. And green means go. Adelante, amigos. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Story Story Late Night is brought to you by our story party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Anna Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Nicholas Warden, and me, Jody Eichelberger. Thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Red Light Show sponsor, Sue Dahlgren of Group 1 Sotheby's International Realty in Boise. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessari, featuring live music from Thomas Paul and Friends. 
Support this story program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube at Story Story Night.